Years ago, I was the executive pastor at Church of the Savior, our mother congregation. And one of the things that I was in charge of was Wednesday nights. And at that time in the life of that church, we had a hopping Wednesday night set of programming. At 6 o'clock, we had a fellowship meal. At 7 o'clock, we had classes and programs and all kinds of stuff. And it was just busy, 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 busy. My office was at the back of the church, right next to the kitchen, where they would prepare the fellowship meal. And one of these Wednesday nights in October, um, it was like 5.40 in the afternoon, so 20 minutes to the meal. I have somebody in the office with me. The door is open, and there are two people waiting outside the office to talk to me before the fellowship meal. At that moment, uh, one of the seminary students who was volunteering at church at that time um, knocked on the corner of the door, stuck his head in, and said, hey, uh, hey, Max, I hate to bother you, but uh, the men's restroom has a problem. One of the toilets is, like, really stopped up, and it's bad. It's a number two. It smells horrible. You need to get the janitors on that. So I look at him, and I go, the janitors are gone for the day. We have people coming in the building, like, now. I've got two people waiting on me. Could you take care of that? The plunger is in the is in the closet between those two sets of bathrooms in the lobby. And he kind of, he looks at me like a deer that's caught in headlights. And there's this long pause. And then he says, uh, I don't do toilets. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, no, I, I can't do that. I'm sorry. So I, I say to the person that I'm with, I have to take care of this. Don't go anywhere. I promise I'll wash my hands really good. <laughs> and I dash off and take care of the problem. And, and we go on with life. Well, fast forward five months later. It's March of the following calendar year. And a senior pastor, Steve, is getting ready to hire for a staff position. And one of the people that he's considering is that seminary student. And so... I feel like the baker, the guy in prison, you know, in the story of Joseph, who in, in that moment is like, oh, yeah, that guy. And so I relate the story to Steve, which I hadn't done uh, that happened way back in October. So I, did, I tell him what I just told you, and he leaned over from his desk, and he put his hand on and he goes, gosh, he's not ready for ministry. <laughs> he's not ready for Didn't hire him didn't hire him. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a friend who lives up in Lexington decide that he was going to do a room addition off of his house, and he bought uh, a home from mm, Homes. Um, maybe, maybe you've lived in one or, or are living in one right now, but I can't say the name because they put these on the internet. Um, but he lived in one of those mm, homes, and and he, they couldn't afford to move into a different home, and so because of finances and the downturn of the economy and blah, 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 blah. So they were going to add on. And the, he got a Mennonite guy and his crew and, and the whole plan. And, and so the day comes, the material's there, and they start ripping off the siding and stuff off the side of the house where they're going to attach this room addition. And they have to stop work. And he calls my friend in from work to show him the side of his house and says, you don't have enough studs on this side of the house. I gotta be honest with you, I don't have a clue how this side of the house is still standing. 
but there's no way we're going to add additional roof line to this, so here's what we're going to do, what we're going to have to do to fix this problem, and here's what it's going to cost you extra. It's just a few studs. <laughs> right, Dan? Just a few studs. Like, those are a big deal. My... <laughs> they're a big deal. For those of you that don't know, they're huge. <laughs> okay. My house that I live in now, um, I have a thousand square foot unfinished basement, concrete floor, concrete walls. The previous owners had it be dried and the be dry system works great. It, it channels all the water out away from the basement. Uh, those of you that know me know that since I've lived in the house since 2007, I've had two major floods of the basement. And the reason is because all of that water is channeled into one little tiny sump pump well. And so I've had plumbers out, I've had contractors out, and they all say the same thing to me. Well, Mr. Vanderpool, um, what they should have done was they should have built a much bigger well with like a trash pump or a heavy-duty sump pump, or what I would have done is I would have channeled one half of the basement to one well and one half of the basement to another well because it, that, what you have right now is just inadequate for the volume of water. It's just an extra well, right? It's a little thing, little thing. I have people all the time who will say things to me like, um, Max, oh, gee, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, that just fell through the cracks. Doesn't that happen to you when you, like, ever have to do anything with the government? Your paperwork, your application, your certification somehow fell through the cracks. Like the government has these giant cracks that everything it just sucks in like a black hole. <laughs> yeah, your paperwork went, went one of them cracks, just fell through. I don't know, I can't find it nowhere. <laughs> Are you sure you're going to adopt? You know. <laughs> so uh, I have people, I, I teach part-time at Asbury University, and it's amazing to me. Uh, I will have a student at some point who goes, Oh, oh man, that assignment was due like today? Today? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> not only was it spelled out in the syllabus, not only did I talk about the first day of class, like I reminded you last week, and I sent out an email. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> they don't say that anymore. That's like a 90s thing, but. And then, then there's the people who are like, oh, 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 Max, I'm so sorry. Oh, I just didn't have time. Oh, I didn't have time. I've got this friend who's got this blue box, and he shows up randomly, and he showed up, and then we went to the Roman Empire, and then we went to this planet where these people had four arms, and when we came back, we came back like five days later. I just didn't have time. <laughs> if you don't know what the reference is, ask someone else. Okay. We are now three-quarters of the way through this series on work. And what I want to share, to do, share with you today is very important. Very important. Especially if you are under the age of 35. I want, you, I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen. I want you to own. I want you to do what I am talking about today. Because if you do this, if you are blessed enough to live to be 75 or 80 years old... You will look back on your life and you'll say, I'm so glad I did that. It opened up so many doors for me. All right? And what I want to talk to you is a spiritual principle. Jesus talks about it a lot, and it's this. If you are faithful in small things, God will give you 
big things. If not now, then in the afterlife. Let me say this another way. If faithfulness in small things opens the door to big things. Faithfulness in small things opens the door to big things. Jesus himself taught on this regularly. Throughout his ministry, when he had his public ministry here on earth, he taught on this frequently. And we're going to look at one such teaching from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you brought a paper Bible, Matthew's found in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 25, which is toward the end of that. For those of you that are electronic, it'll just go bloop. <laughs> okay, so, but Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 14. This whole section of Matthew 25 is Jesus basically kind of telling several stories so that he can say to his followers, Hey gang, I want to cue you in on the fact that I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And I want you to be ready for when I come back. You really, 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 really need to be ready when I come back. So I'm going to explain how this works and explain what you need to do. And he tells several stories to do that. So let's pick it up, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. He says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So there's a Greek word that's used here. And the Greek word used here is the, a master, a landowner, went on a trip and gave talenton, talenton to his servants. Talenton, uh, for a long time in that culture, based on what I've read, meant and referred to a certain unit of weight, roughly 75 pounds. So you would say a talenton of gold, 75 pounds of gold. A talenton of wheat, 75 pounds of wheat. Then, as time went on, it kind of was reduced, and it was used specifically to describe a talenton was one coin that at one point had meant a lot of money. Um, ironically, when they were making the first English Bible, they were like, talenton, talenton. Dude, do you know what that means? I don't have no clue. Let's write talent, talent, talent. A landowner gave talents to his servants. Ding! Problem solved. And we actually, the English word talent comes from this parable in the Bible. Did you know that? So the, the word that means a gift or ability comes from this passage, this story that Jesus told as they were translating the Bible into English. All right? But when Jesus told this story, the people hearing it would have understood, oh, a wonkin' amount of money. Got it. <laughs> So this guy went away, and he gave some big-time money to his servants. Um, some people, in doing the math, come up with about $1.9 Other people come up with $3.4 Depends on how you do your calculations. But it's not like a $425 million Powerball, but it's not nothing. Okay? So he, he, this is divided among the three servants, and it's given proportionate to their abilities with a specific expectation. 
So let's, let's flesh out the expectation. That's verses 19 through 23. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had trusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Well done. It's said by the master to both servants, both servants earned a different amount of money. One would have been like maybe $1.5 million. The other would have been like $660,000. Okay? They're different amounts, but they're both given the same word of praise. It's, and it's because both servants were faithfully responsible with what they had been given. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news for you and me. Not everybody is given the same thing in life. Can we, can we all agree on that? Not everybody is given the same thing. Not everybody is born in America. Not everybody is born to two parents. Not everybody has the opportunity to go to a Christian college. Not everybody can go to Yale. Not everybody can intern at the Olympics. Not everybody is given the same opportunity. It's all different amounts and different levels. But it's not about the good news is that God is not expecting everybody who's given different amounts to all reach level 7 or $770,000 or whatever that is. There's no magic mark. It's simply, can you be productive? Will you be productive with what I've given you? However much or however little that is. And you don't have to be Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Pope Francis I to get a reward. You just have to be faithful with what you've been given. I think that's great news. Because, come on, at the end of this week, how many of us are going to be able to say, well, you know, <clears throat> at lunch with the president on Tuesday, cured cancer on Wednesday, and oh yeah, on Friday, I finally got those yahoos in the Middle East to stop fighting. Take that, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Booyah! How many of us are going to be able to say that? Not many. Probably zero out of this room at the end of this week, okay? So, if you're faithful with a series of small things over a long period of time, you will be rewarded. All right, so let's pick up, what about the third servant, all right? And, and let's flesh this out. What about the third servant? Verse 24 and following. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, uh, <clears throat> I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was... I was afraid I would lose your money, so look, I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with ten bags. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. 
and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This last servant has, a, has an attitude problem, in a sense. He believes, his, he believes some things about his master that, now, in this parable aren't true. Because in this parable, who's the master, really? Who's the master? God, Jesus. It's the standard children's answer. You can't go wrong here. Okay, so in this, in this story, the master in this story is God, Jesus. And so the, the third servant thinks that his master is mean. His master expects work that he doesn't deserve. He's got wrong attitudes about his master. Isn't that true in life, that a wrong attitude about God can tank you on some things when it comes to God and God's kingdom? Oh, if you think that God's mean and capricious all the time, God the zapper God, Oh, look, you messed up. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Try and mess up again. Or you think that God doesn't care, or you think that God is simply unconcerned about what you do or what you have or how you live. There are a lot of churchgoers in America who have God-given abilities, have talent on that have been given to them, and it's tucked away in their sock drawer, and it's never used for God's kingdom. It's not a good position to be in, right? The first two servants in this parable, uh, uh, Matthew would say, are true disciples. The third one, not a true disciple, because he had the wrong attitudes about God, and he squandered what God had given him, right? Um, the one thing that Jesus is clear about in this passage is that you and I, he wants you and I to be faithful with the little things that he puts in our hand. And if we're faithful with little, we'll be given much. Um, for those of you that are younger, the phrase, you got to pay your dues, I mean, that's where some of this stuff comes with, or, or comes from. So in, in light of this passage, in light of what Jesus is saying in this story, I want to ask some questions. The first one is this. For those of you that work and get a paycheck and you, and you show up, do you mentally check out or leave before the workday is done? Do you mentally check out or leave before the workday is done? For all of us in the room, are you trusted by your friends? Do your friends trust you? Are you reliable? And, and when it comes to that whole reliability, faithfulness, and small things, you know, th there's some weeder questions like, do others constantly have to remind me to get things done? Do I return calls or emails? Do my children believe me when I promise them something? Um, and, and for those of you that are teenagers or tweens, let me say this. How you take care of a pet or a bicycle is an indicator of how you'll take care of a car or a house. It is. Mom and dad are paying attention. They're watching. Um, ladies, um, if you are interested in a guy and he's dissing his mom all the time, how he treats his mother is an indicator, not, not, not the whole shoot max, but an indicator of how he might treat you. So, I mean, pay attention. It's these small things that are indicators of big things. Um, it's why, it's why uh, I buy the water for church events. I don't know if you know this, but so two or three years ago, this is one of our melted snowmen. I love it. I'm drinking it now. Mm. I bought this melted snowman with my money. Why did I do that? Well, 
like three or four years ago, the church would buy water for church events, and then the extras would end up in my garage. And then I would get thirsty, and I wouldn't have bottled waters, and then I'd be like, I need a bottle of water, but that's not mine, that's the church's. Now, I could have done the mental Olympics of, well, gosh, the church really doesn't pay me that much, and there's so many things, receipts I don't turn in, and it's just a bottle of water. But I didn't want to be put in that position. Why? Because I don't just want to manage bottles of water. Someday, I want to have the ability to manage a 10,000-square-foot, $1.5 million building that sits on 15 acres off the Eastern Bypass. Thank you very much. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful in small things. So if I want to drink this, so now when the church is like a gazillion people, if that ever happens, I'm not going to be able to afford to buy the water for everything. <laughs> but for now, it's real easy. And if I want to pour it out onto the ground, I can do that. I can drink all the ones I want because they're my waters. I bought them. So at the next church event, if you want to just say, hey, Max, thanks for the water. It's, it's really, it's gratis. It's on me. It's okay. But it's, it's me being faithful in a small thing because I want to show God, and I want God to know that I am faithful with what he's put in my hand, all right? Um, there's a story that's told and retold by business executives. Uh, it's probably a thousand times, and I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of George Bolt, but you're going to know it after this morning, okay? George Bolt was a Prussian immigrant who came to the United States in 1864, all right? He started off as a kitchen worker in New York City and kind of worked his way up to become the manager of one of New York's lesser hotels. Well, as the story goes, one night an elderly, older couple shows up at the hotel needing a place to stay. And George's hotel is book solid. There's not a room to be had. George, being a savvy manager, knew also that really throughout the whole city of New York at that particular time, nobody had a room to rent. Uh, and so he, did, uh, he didn't want to send them out in the cold, so he, says, he said to them, basically, I, because I'm the manager of this hotel, I have an apartment, I'm just going to get my stuff out, I'll sleep here in the lobby, it's yours, as long as you're in New York, just take my apartment. So when it came time for their stay to be done, and they were checking out of the hotel, the, the older man said to him, George, I'm going to be building a hotel here in New York, and when I do, I'm putting you in charge. Sure enough, two or three years later, he was summoned to manage this hotel. Do you know the name of the couple that stayed at the hotel? Their names were Mr. and Mrs. William Waldorf Astor. The name of the hotel that the man built was the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. If you like Thousand Island dressing on your salad or on your Big Mac, George is the guy who invented it during his stint at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. If you are faithful in a small thing, in small things, God will give you big things. There is a connection. I know this firsthand. About three years ago, one of the Asbury classes I had had five students in it. So I had three students in Wilmore and two students in Orlando, Florida. And I was like, five students, oh, it's going to be so hard to have energy because it's a four-hour class one night a week. Okay? So five students. Um, a buddy of mine in the chamber, it wasn't Brian Hall, a buddy of mine in the chamber when I was kind of barking or complaining about how few students it was, was like, 
look, just do the class, just get it done, don't worry about it, the next class will have more students, no big deal. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And so every night for five weeks, I brought my A game. I was passionate, I had stories, I tried to connect. And let me tell you, when there's only five and then two of them don't show up one week and now there's three, it's really hard to bring passion and energy and fun and excitement, but I brought it. And then when the class is done, I was like, thank you, Jesus, thank you. I was more happy than they were to have it done, okay? Unbeknownst to me, six months later, there's an event going on in Lexington. One of my students from that class works at a place that um, specializes in placing people who are either economically disadvantaged or have a mental handicap of some kind, and they do this big banquet every year. And it's Lexington, the mayor, all the big movers and shakers of Lexington are part of this big banquet. Well, the, the night before the banquet, uh, uh, their uh, speaker from out of state has a stomach bug and can't do it, and is going to talk about strengths, how to, how to identify and, and walk a life of living out your strengths. Well, that's part of the class that I do. So this student speaks up and says, you need to talk to my Asbury prof from this class, da-da-da-da. And sure enough, the person calls me and is clearly vetting me on the phone and, and is desperate enough that they're like, okay, well, we'll let him do it, all right? So I do the event, and when they're introducing me, the microphone thing isn't working, so they don't hear my name or the name of the church, but I do, the, I do my thing about strengths, and it worked, it connected. And when I was going through the line, I had all these people, you know, pulling me and wanting to talk to me. And when I sat down at the table, there was like a line. At the end of the night, I counted, there were 10 or 11 different people who thought I was John Weiss from Southland. <laughs> now, I promise you generations, I didn't take it as an insult. <laughs> I promise you. But I, I, so all that is to say, if I hadn't been faithful with five students, God would not have given me a platform to be faithful and bring my A-game to 600 of Lexington's leaders. All right? There's a connection. If you're faithful in small things, it will open the door for big things. And I want that for you.